This morning's scripture is Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Oh man, I feel like I'm full already uh, from this service. I want to say welcome uh, to, to all the climbers and the catechism class uh, kids in the room. Again, you're, we are so glad uh, that you're with us today. I hope you know how special you are uh, to us. So we, we saw the catechism class, but the climbers are in here as well. And, um, and so we're, we're so thankful for you. In fact, I want to just pray for you before we look at this story. Uh, pray for you and also for our time this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and full to see um, a generation of children who are blessing your name and learning true and good things about you. Uh, just to welcome in uh, Wolf this morning, to, um, to see your hand at work in our young families. We are so grateful. And Father, I pray for each child in this room that they would know not only your love, but this that this church loves them. I pray that even today uh, we would find a child that we um, as adults in the room can bless and pray for. And um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with us, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and this wonderful story. Would your spirit give us new eyes? Would you change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh? Lord, we ask for your help as we try to seek and understand your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a question for all of us, and especially the kids, you guys listen in for this. I have a question for you when you are listening to, reading, um, perhaps watching a story. A question that you can ask yourself is this, what kind of story is this? What kind of story is this? For instance, if it's a mystery, something wrong has been done, right? Uh, you got to figure out who done it, who did the wrong thing, who committed the crime. If it's a love story, you might ask, what will bring these two together in the end? What kind of a story is this? If it's a sad story, sometimes we call those tragedies, you might be asking yourself, what will be the thing that will unravel this in a beautiful and poetic way? What, what will happen that will show this tragedy? What kind of a story is this? And I want to ask that question about the story of Ruth, and I want to ask that question in a bigger sense about the story of our whole lives. What kind of a story is this that we find ourselves in? And what kind of a story is this that the author of Ruth is telling us? And if all that we had was chapter 1... This would be a really, really sad story. You remember, chapter 1 is all about the, the famine in the land and, and, and the death of, of loved ones. And Naomi, this mother-in-law of Ruth, she is bitter with God. And so if all that we had was chapter 1, this would be a different story, a very sad story. There's only the barest hints in chapter 1 of anything redemptive, but today, things begin to change for Ruth and for our story. And we begin to see that all of the hardship, all of the hard things that have happened in chapter one are merely the backdrop of God's redemption. It's a different kind of story. What is the shape of this story? The shape of this story can be said in three words, favored, faithful, and full. 
favored, faithful, and full. Now, especially for the kids in the room, those, some of those words, might not, you might not know what those mean. So let me tell you a different story that's nearly the same story as Ruth, but one that you might have heard before. It's about a little boy named Charlie and a setting called a, tro- a chocolate factory. You know that story? All right, here's how the story goes. Charlie Bucket uh, is in a hard circumstance. He, he's poor. His, his dad has lost his job. Uh, the family has nowhere to go. But every day, he walks by this mysterious large factory, the Wonka, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And then there's a sweepstakes, right? Five golden tickets are put into chocolate bars, and it seems to be a mystery. Who's going to find these golden tickets? Because the ones who do get to spend the day with Willy Wonka and tour the chocolate factory. Well, Charlie Bucket finds money. This is in the original story, in the 1970s original story. He finds money in the snow. That seems lucky. With that money, he buys two chocolate bars. The first one is a dud. The second one, though, has the golden ticket. And you may say, Charlie Bucket is so lucky. He's so lucky to have... The only, the only chocolate bar he finds, basically, one of the two, has the golden ticket. But we might also think, but there's a narrator to this story. And the narrator has chosen for us to look at Charlie. He wants to tell the, the story of Charlie. So if there's a narrator to the story, we might use a different word than lucky. We might say favored. He has been favored. He has been blessed. But as the story goes, it's not just about his favoredness or his blessing. It's also about his faithfulness. The plot thickens. Willy Wonka, we find out, is looking for a particular person. We don't know why yet, but it's more than chance. It's more than favor. He's looking for someone with character. And all the other children prove unworthy. The five other tickets go to children who show themselves to be foolish or disobedient. Charlie is left standing because he is the only faithful one. So he was favored... But then he proved himself faithful. What's the result? The end of the story is this. A fullness beyond comprehension as Willy Wonka hands him the keys to the chocolate factory. Unbelievable. This child who had no prospect, no future, the the luck that we think that to even get into the door, but when he gets in the door, he gets handed the keys to the factory. He moved from being favored to showing himself faithful to receiving a fullness beyond any imagining. And that is the story of Ruth that we have before us. It is the story that if you are in Christ Jesus, this little small short story shows us that we are a part of as well. What kind of a story is this? It's a story of us being favored, of us being recognized for our faithfulness and of the fullness of God being given to us. You may wonder, what kind of a story is my life? And at times, depending on the day, you may want to answer that differently. You may feel that this is a story of meaninglessness. You may feel like this is a story of maybe I just need to go out and get as much as I can while I can. 
Maybe your story feels like a tragedy so far. And this is chapter one. And all you see is bitterness or death or loss. What kind of a story is this? Three comforts from this piece of the story today I want to give us and then lead us to the point where we see what kind of, exactly what kind of story this is. This is a story of favor, faithfulness, and fullness. Number one, look, God grants favor. God grants favor to Ruth. Blessing on Ruth. This is what we call God's providence. He cares for Ruth. He brings her to this place and to Naomi. Look at the first few verses with me. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I keep saying that. Elimelech. Now, this is the setting of the story. It's a, and Ruth goes out in search of favor. She says, let me go out and glean so that I can find favor. What does it mean to glean? What is she doing? Well, in the law of God, um, you can see it several places in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, uh, it's probably the most uh, prominent place. The farmers of, of Israel, the the ones who worked the fields were told not to go after all the little scraps that they leave behind. Uh, if, if, some, if some food falls on the ground, leave it uh, for the poor and the helpless. And in fact, they're told in Leviticus 19 that they should not even go all the way to the edge of their field. They should leave not only the scraps behind, but they should leave the outside edge of the field unharvested so that others who need it could be harvested, could harvest that food. The command is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let me read this section of it because I think it's significant for Ruth and where she finds herself in Israel. This is the law of God from Deuteronomy 24. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." Now, what's so significant about that, I realized this week uh, for the first time in reading this, Ruth is all three of those people. The sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. She's fatherless. We don't know about her biological father, but we do know that Elimelech, her, her father-in-law, who's in whose household she now resides, whose care is for her, has died. She's fatherless. We know that her husband, Machlon, has died. She's a widow. And she is called over and over again, Ruth the Moabite. Everybody seems to label her as such because she is a sojourner in the land. So gleaning is all that she can do to survive. And she goes out looking for favor, and she finds favor. Look again at verse 3, the language that's used here. She gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to. Now, it's actually more emphatic 
in Hebrew there than it looks like in English. It says literally, she chanced upon a chance. Twice it's mentioned here. She chanced upon a chance to find herself here. Or the way that we would say that, that phrase would be say, as luck would have it. She chanced on a chance. Now, what is the thing that she discovers? She happens to into a field of Boaz, who is not only a kind and compassionate and a generous man, not a given, but is also a relative and a redeemer. We'll talk about the idea of redeemer next week. But this is a place of her salvation, and she chances upon this field. Now, just like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we suspect a narrator. The writer of Ruth is smiling, probably to himself as he wrote this, chanced upon a chance, because he knows the end of the story. This is not a story of chance. This is a story of a God who knows the end from the beginning, and who has brought Ruth and Naomi at the time of the barley harvest and has brought her to a specific section of the field so that she meets a specific man so that she can be redeemed. This is God's story. The one who knows the end from the beginning. And what we see in the Bible is that what seems random to us, what seems like chance to us, always is from the hand of the Lord. Even the rolling of the dice. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even down to the to the rolling of the dice. The Lord controls this story. This is a great comfort for us. What kind of story are you in? It's a story of God's favor. He, is, he has told this story. He is the narrator of this story. And this story is heading towards redemption. Because God has favored His people with good things. God grants favor. Secondly, God notices faithfulness. God notices faithfulness. There's a second comfort here. And we have finally, after a hard first chapter, the beginning of the love story. Ruth meets Boaz. Boaz meets Ruth. In romantic comedies, we would call this the meet cute, right? When man meets woman, and that something happens, and, and they notice each other, and maybe they hate each other at first, and maybe they fall in love. We never know, but that's not the story that we find ourselves here. This meet cute is, could be summarized like this. Worthy man meets worthy woman. Worthy man meets worthy woman. They take stock of one another, and they like what they find. And you notice all of the character development just in these first few verses about Boaz and about Ruth. In verse 1, we're told that Boaz is a worthy man. A worthy man. He's going to show that to us in verse 4. We see here this little, I don't know, why is this necessary to the story? No, it's telling us about who Boaz is. Verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. A little workday liturgy. Not unlike what we just did a few minutes ago when we said, peace be with you, you said also with you. Boaz comes to his workers and it's obvious that this is a godly man. He's worthy. He's, he's walking with the Lord and it's obvious that his 
his employees recognize him and know him, love him. He's already pictured as godly and respected. He also is pictured for us as someone who cares for the poor. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to the young man who's in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. In these verses, Boaz shows us that not only has, is it acceptable for those to glean in his fields. Now, you might say, well, it was the law of God. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24. God told uh, owners of fields to let people glean, but that wasn't always the case. Just because it was in the law of God doesn't mean that they followed it. But Boaz does. And not only that, he takes a special care over Ruth for her protection. He charges the young men later to not touch Ruth. Don't touch this young woman. Don't harass or mistreat her. Boaz has a misconduct policy in his fields. And like in our society today, the most likely people to be attacked, the most likely people to be harassed, the most likely people to go missing are those who are either poor or foreign. And he protects her. He stands in for her. He gives her a just way to follow the law. Every single bit of dialogue, every single picture we have of Boaz from the beginning to the end of this story is a picture of a man who was compassionate, generous, and kind. He is an instrument of the Lord's kindness. He is worthy. His faithfulness matters to this story. So does Ruth's. As you see, Boaz recognizes who she is and what she has done. In verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Boaz meets a worthy woman. In fact, later in the book of Ruth, Ruth is called the same word, worthy. She is worthy as well. The servant of Boaz has already noticed this. He said, you know, basically she came out here in the early morning and she, she took a little break, but basically she's been going at it since sunrise working hard for her mother-in-law. And then Boaz says, yes, and I have heard of your faithfulness to your mother-in-law. What kind of a story is this? Yes, it's a story ultimately of God's favor. God did this. God brought them together. God brought Ruth and Naomi at the time of the harvest. It's God's favor. But it's also a story where our faithfulness Boaz and Ruth's faithfulness matters to God. God grants grace, but He uses faithful people. 
If Boaz had not been a worthy man, if Ruth had not been a worthy woman, this story wouldn't have worked. What do we conclude from this? God notices your faithfulness. God uses your faithfulness. Boaz couldn't have known that all the time that he spent with his workers, that he spent with the Lord, all those hours that he passed, all that, that, that time with the Lord that made him such a compassionate and tender man would lead to this moment when he would not only be part of helping a young woman, but would be part of the story of Jesus Christ. We're going to get there in the end. When he's a part of the line of David, how could he have known Without Boaz's kindness to Ruth and without Ruth's kindness to Naomi, the story doesn't work. When they were choosing to be faithful and worthy followers of God, they didn't know how it would work out. Neither do we. But you need to hear this. God will use your faithfulness in His story. So be faithful day in and day out. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn compassion and kindness. Treat others around you, employees and bosses, with respect and kindness and care the way that is presented to us. Care for your loved ones because that is how we know that we're Christians, the New Testament says. If a man can't take care of his own household, how can he, how can he be part of the household of God? This is our first priority. We don't know how God will use our faithfulness, but He will use it for His story. What kind of a story is this? It's a story of God's favor, but it's a story of our faithfulness. Number three, God provides unexpected fullness. This is a story of fullness. Look at verse 14 with me. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread. Draw near. Literally, he says, draw near, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Unexpected fullness. Boaz closes the distance between himself and Ruth. And he says what often the Lord says in the Scriptures, draw near, have some food, have some bread and wine, and she eats the roasted grain, and she drinks the wine, and she is satisfied. Now, can we pause and recognize the change in the story? This has been a story of famine, loss, hopelessness. We're not left to expect that Ruth has had a full meal in a really long time. But here she has an unexpected abundance, and not just for one meal. Boaz says to his men, leave the sheaves for her. Make it easier for her. Let her fill up. She has moved from less than a servant. Remember she said, you're treating me like one of the servants, but I'm not even one of your servants. She was less than a servant. Now she is an honored guest. She has moved from 
not even having scraps to having leftovers. Because there's some left over that she can take to her mother-in-law. In the end, she walks away with an ephah of barley. Hard to know how much that is. Somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. Not a meal, not a day's amount of food, but weeks of food. In other words, Boaz goes beyond what the law requires, which was just to leave the gleanings in the edge of the field. And it's not a given, by the way. Not everybody practiced that. But Boaz goes beyond what the law requires. He goes beyond what goodness or mercy would expect from a good man. A good man would say, young men, leave this woman alone. Protect her. He goes beyond what the law requires, beyond what mercy would expect, all the way to a generosity that can scarcely be believed. A place at his table. What kind of a story is this? It's the same story that we hear echoed over and over again. Do you hear the echo in other stories? The prodigal son. The man who leaves his father. Who, who spends all of his father's inheritance. This generous father. He wastes his livelihood. And he comes back determined to be a servant of his father. But his father looks at him and says, I won't hear of it. You will come to my table, son. Do you hear it in the echo of Jesus feeding the 5,000? When there is famine in the land, there's nowhere for the people to get food. Where could they get the food? Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish and everyone there who was hungry, hungry spiritually to hear from Him and hungry physically to be, to be provided for by Him is satisfied and there are leftovers. Twelve baskets full. One for each of the disciples to take home with them. Right? This is the story of the Scriptures. It's the story of the Gospel. It's a story of fullness, of abundance. Because in Jesus Christ, God has done more for us than the law required. He has done far more for us than mercy or goodness would be expected. All the way to a generosity that can scarcely be believed. He's given us the factory. He's given us everything in Jesus Christ. He said, you can have a place at my table. He said, you can have everlasting life. You are my beloved. I will marry you. I will redeem you. I'll bring you into my family. You can have my inheritance. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ Jesus. I will commit to you even though you have nothing to offer me. I will feed you with myself with my body and my blood, the bread and the wine at my table, I will give you everything. What kind of a story is this? It's a gospel story where God's favor gives us everything, where our faithfulness matters, and where our fullness is guaranteed. Do you believe that this is your story? Because it is your story if you are in Christ Jesus. And here's where I was leading us to the kind of story that we are in. In Christ Jesus, all of the hardship in your life becomes the backdrop for the story of God's redemption. All, 
all of the hardship in your life at some point will turn towards redemption because this is where God is taking everything. Now, we don't know what the point is. It's only a matter of time, though, before you are fully redeemed. This is four chapters long. This is a short story. It's going to be neat. It's going to be satisfying. We're going to be able to do it in a few weeks and look at the whole story. But in real life, it's hard. And let's not forget that it was hard for Ruth, too. She lived much more than four chapters. Let's not forget that it's been 10 years of famine, 10 years of infertility, 10 years when she didn't know what was going to happen, at the end of which she loses her husband. This has been a time of misery. She waited 10 years. How long did Job wait? We don't know who lost everything. How long did Simeon wait? That man from the New Testament who blesses the Christ child on the steps of the temple and he says, now I can depart in peace. He waited his whole life to see God's redemption. It's not timing that we are guaranteed, but redemption is guaranteed. How long before you see God redeem your circumstances? I don't know. It could be 10 years. It could be up to and including all of your life. This short life that's a mist that vanishes at dawn when the sun comes out, the Scripture says, it is not, though, a matter of if. It is only a matter of when. It is not a matter of chance. It is only a matter of time before you are redeemed fully and all of your circumstances are. Before God's favor is fully revealed to you. Before your faithfulness is fully recognized and before your fullness is fully realized. In other words, all of the hardship, no matter how long, no matter how intense, no matter how deep it is, will one day in retrospect be only chapter one. It will only be the first chapter of bitterness and loss and sadness because of what God is doing in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He is redeeming the whole world. As we close, what should we do with this news? We do what Ruth did. We hang tight and wait for God's redemption. I think it's interesting how this, how this part of the story closes here where Ruth basically gets the message, don't go anywhere else. Stick to Boaz. He says to her, don't go into any other field. And then then Naomi asks about it. Look at verse 21 with me. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go without with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Boaz says, don't go anywhere else. Naomi says, good idea. Don't go anywhere else. I mean, she just got months worth of barley in one day. Why would you go anywhere else? Where else are you going to meet a Redeemer who is also so generous and so kind? And it reminds me as we close here of what the disciples said to Jesus, even in the midst of their hardship, even in the midst of their not understanding, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're not going anywhere else. 
Don't go anywhere else other than our Redeemer. Because He is the only one who is your Redeemer, who is close to you, who has made you a part of His family, who, who invites you to His table. He is the only one who can give you what you need. And you wait with Him, even in the deepest hardship, because it is not a matter of if, it is only a matter of when, it is not a matter of chance, it is only a matter of time before He redeems you. Let's pray.